This is episode 295 of the AWS podcast, released on February 2nd, 2019. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Lesher here with you. Great to have you back. And I'm joined by a returning guest. I'm joined by John Calhoun, who's a machine learning specialist in the worldwide public sector team. Welcome back to the podcast, John. Happy to be back. Thank you. Now, you are on board to talk about all kinds of goodness today. We're talking open source, we're talking machine learning, we're talking DevOps altogether. And before we even get into definitions, et cetera, let's maybe step back and just talk about the problem domain we're talking about, which is machine learning models. And I think one of the, um, I don't call it the dirty secrets, but one of the often forgotten components about machine learning is that you need to not just train your model, but you need to retrain it on a regular basis to make it better. So maybe let's start with... John, what was the problem you were trying to solve for customers in the first place? Yeah, so the the real big problem I was trying to solve is help customers really mature their machine learning systems. So move from you know a, you know a couple of data scientists working on a laptop to really having production solutions and production systems. Um, and you know you talked about sort of some of the components of that. You know, one is not just building a model, but being able to um, update that model, retrain that model, adjust that model, re-roll re- back that model. Um, so there's a lot of sort of steps that, that need to take place to make that next step in maturity. So I've been talking with customers and thinking a lot about, you know, how can we, how do customers do that and how can we help them do that? And you applied the, the I guess, um, philosophy of DevOps to this problem space. So maybe let's define what you mean by, by DevOps in this context and how it fits. Yeah, so I like to define I like to define DevOps sort of the original way as intended. So if you've if you ever read the book The Phoenix Project, it's a favorite. Um, we sort of start the whole. Yeah, and if anyone listening hasn't read The Phoenix Project, then go read it. Go, uh, <laughs> go read it. Absolutely. So the Phoenix Project it's a story about a a company, their IT department, a new guy steps in. They're sort of not doing well, sort of a dumpster fire, and it's about this how this guy transforms the company to really, you know, excelling. And he does that through what's later called DevOps, what he calls the three ways. So the first, the first way is sort of thinking, um, thinking about processes. So in the analogy he talked about, you know, in a manufacturing line, like building a car, you have inputs come in one end and outputs come in at the other. So the first way is understanding that you know, the longer, you know, things don't have value until they leave the, the facility. So you want to have things move quickly as fast as possible. So think forward in the assembly line. So in software, you know, that, that applies, you know, have, you know, we want to do updates quicker instead of doing updates every six months, every three months. DevOps talks about doing updates multiple times a day. Yeah. I think this, this applies to machine learning as well. So in machine learning, your input is really data. And your output is some solution based on that data. So it's even more, a little bit more than a model. It's this larger solution. So thinking of first way of machine learning is how can we accelerate the process of getting data and then deploying out the models for that data? And that's an interesting point because, you know, the, the a lot of the focus goes on to the creation of the models and the data science that goes into those models. And that is, let's face it, super important. However, these models need to get into production and certainly SageMaker is something that's helped a lot of customers get into production because it makes that step of getting into production trivial. But you've kind of 
taken it that step further by saying, well, this is this is a cycle, this is a process, and like you say, you know, we want to move through the process as quickly as possible. So, talk to us about what it is you've built and uh, and what's available to to customers through the AWS SageMaker Build Open Source Project. Yeah, so um, so I created this project called SageMaker Build or Sage Build. I started about a year ago, so shortly after we announced SageMaker. And sort of, you know, I was realizing how this service worked and then started thinking about, well, how could how could I automate this? How can I make this a more streamlined pipeline system? And what would that look like? So it was sort of a fun exploration of, you know, what are all the AWS services for orchestration and what ones work here? What I end up doing is sort of just two main components. One is using our step function service. So step functions allows you to build these sort of, these orchestration pipe loads with branching and looping and uses lambdas to sort of do all the actions of the service. So using step functions, use that to sort of automate the different process that goes into a whole SageMaker um, pipeline. So that, that initially starts with, so SageMaker is Docker-based. And one of the first things you need to do, especially if you're bringing your own model, is you need to build your Docker container. So first thing it does is it uses our code build service to build a Docker container and then upload it to our ECR um, container registry service. Then from there, it kicks off a training. So it'll build, a, it'll start a training job, launch EC2 instances, do all that for you, wait for it to be finished. When it's done, it will then create a model and then create an endpoint and deploy your model out to that endpoint. And the nice thing there is because you're using step functions, it's all repeatable, controllable, measurable, all, all the bulls that you want, but also if things go wrong along the way, you can get alerted, you can retry, uh, you're avoiding the human interaction, you're using uh, SSM parameter store as well to keep a lot of the, uh, the the configuration items as well. And there's actually a really nice diagram in the blog post that, that sort of walks you through that whole process. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of thought you put into how this hangs together. Yeah, so you can do, you know, so once you have like an automated pipeline set up, you can do cool things like you could hook it up to S3. So anytime new data is uploaded, that triggers a rebuild of your of your model. So the whole idea of rebuilding, redeploying models can now happen without any human intervention at all. Or when you hook up to GitHub or code commits, so when new code for your models is committed, that can trigger a rebuild. Or you can hook up to our um, CloudWatch service. So on a regular schedule, you could have rebuilds and redeploys of your model. And then, That's very yeah, you mentioned the, the notifications. It's great to have, I usually have it set up so it sends me a text message when my model is either successfully run or it's um, unsuccessfully run. So I don't have to sit there refreshing the page waiting for it to finish. <laughs> it kind of tells you, it tells you that it's done, which is kind of the point of machines, isn't it? The machine should do the work, not the human <laughs> <That's right>. beings. <laughs> And so, how, so this is this is all built in a CloudFormation template. So maybe give us a, a feeling for co- complexity, setup time, and then the, the general runtime that this takes to, to operate. Yeah, so everything's packaged as a CloudFormation template. So all the step functions, all the Lambda functions, all that's um, put together. So all you have to do is launch up a stack. When you launch a stack, you can configure it to create a SageMaker notebook instance. And in that instance, there will be a about four or five different demos of how to use SageBuild with either bring your own Docker, with Amazon algorithms, or even with um, SageMaker MXNet containers. So, so pre-built mm. um, tutorials in there how to how to use that. And then the CloudFormation template 
not only just helps you get started easier, but allows you to embed this system into larger projects. So now your whole machine learning pipeline just becomes a CloudFormation template that can be nested in your larger CloudFormation template for your project. It's very cool, very cool. And this this really gets rid of a lot of the, the setup time and the, the establishment. And I like the kind of pluggable nature you've made in terms of you can use whichever model modality makes sense for your use case. Because one of the interesting interesting things I should say about machine learning is that it is by definition experimental in many ways. So you're kind of not sure what models you're going to need. So this is creating the pipeline. So even if you kind of midstream say, hey, I want to suddenly shift from using uh, one model to, to MXNet for argument's sake, you can and you don't have to kind of throw out your whole pipeline. You're right. And that, you know, that's the whole idea of, so we talk about DevOps in the three ways. You know, the third way is a culture of continuous learning and experimentation, which is sort of where everyone, the reason people are doing DevOps and following these principles is to get to this point where they can experiment and try things. And you're right, machine learning especially requires lots of experimentation and trying things. So once a, a customer has this set up, and, and this is the classic, how long is a piece of a string question, how long does it take to refresh the model? So let's say I've got a, a bunch of data in my S3 bucket and from time to time that gets refreshed and I want to retrain my model and redeploy it into production. What's a, what's a for instance, you've seen in terms of that end-to-end process taking? You know, so it sort of depends on like, you know, how long your model takes. So, yeah. but like at a minimum, so like code build takes one or two minutes to do if that's part of your system. So there's one or two minutes to start. A SageMaker train job takes about two minutes at least to sort of do its own initialization. And then a model deployment takes about two minutes. So if you have a super, super quick model training, you can get up and running in, you know, four to five minutes. Wow. Wow. So so or, so, so the model training, or, as you said, is, is that extendable piece. And I guess you can tune that as well because you can figure out what uh, combination of resources makes that model training faster. So it could be a, a CPU-intensive model or a memory-intensive model that might respond well to GPUs, and you can apply those to the models as, as you're building them. Yeah, and that's a whole like separate dimension of experimenting with machine learning. It's not just the model and the model parameters, but you know, in a system like SageMaker where you're paying for how long that training goes, it makes sense to spend time optimizing the shorter your training period is, the less expensive it is. So yeah, there's it's worth experimenting what instance types make sense, trying different codes, does it make sense to distribute it or do it on a single machine? Um, yeah, those are all parts of sort of the, this development system. And so that pipeline speed is, is an important thing. I've kind of glossed over the fact that you've gone from uh, thinking about a new version into production with, with an overhead of around four to five minutes plus any model training time. That means that you could have your models going into production many times a day. And because SageMaker handles the endpoint management for you, your application is not changing. The endpoint's just returning better data, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Then that's that's the goal is, and I tell customers too, like the idea isn't to build your first model and make it perfect. It's to build something that just has some value. And you just iterate that over time, make that better and better. So know, quickly put something out and build on that value over time. Definitely. And, and so you've, you've uh, put this up in the, uh, the, the AWS sample section of, uh, of GitHub. So it's, it's available in, in open source form for customers to use. What's been some of the customer reactions you've seen from customers deploying this? It's been really exciting. I, you know, I talked to a lot of customers about machine learning and a lot of times, 
you know, as these customers mature, they'll say things like, hey, you know, I want to talk about, you know, how can we automate this? What, you know, how can I make a, you know, a pipeline for machine learning? And then I can say, hey, well, here's an open source project that does that already that give you a, <laughs> a starting place for that. And then they're like, that's great. Let's, let's dive into it. Um, so really removing that barrier of, well, let's think how to do this. And like, no, we've already thought about and sort of solved this problem for you. Let's, let's dive into it. So that's the whole, again, it's speed, speed is everything, isn't it? Let's how, how quick can we get going? And this takes away that friction of first build a deployment pipeline. It's kind of done. That's right. Speed and customer obsession are mm-hmm. the two components. Definitely, definitely. Now, because you are an incredibly talented technical individual and whenever I speak to you on the podcast, as much as it makes me feel good, it makes me feel bad because it shines the inadequacy of my own development capabilities. You've gone ahead and built an Alexa skill as well on top of this just to uh, just for an added degree of, uh, of uh, impressiveness. Tell us about what the Alexa skill does related to this particular component. Yeah, so um, so I do a lot of things with chatbots. So, uh, you know, I was previously on here talking about the Q&A mm, bot. So mm. I find chatbots really interesting. So I was like, well, how could I involve a chatbot here? So I thought, well, it would be cool to, you know, start a build instead of watching for it. I could say, you know, hey, is my build done? Or start build or stop build? What's the status of my build? I'm sort of a voice interaction with, you know, my build process. So... Um, put together an Alexa skill sort of and built into the project to sort of show off that capability. And then after I did that, it turned out to be super useful because it's really nice to start a build. I can go into the chit- kitchen, make a sandwich, and periodically say, hey, is it done? And then, <laughs> like, no, not done yet. Or, yeah, it's done. So sort of machine learning within machine learning mm, here. Mm. It's turtles all the way down, that's for sure. But it, the funny thing is, though, is if you think about it, if you if you are in a mode operationally where you're deploying far more frequently, then it makes sense to have newer and different ways to ascertain the status of your deployments than the old sort of just the big blinking light. So, yeah, being able to just kind of walk around the office and ask Alexa what's going on, probably not a bad idea when you think about it. Yeah, and and – and it's, so this, I've seen this in a couple of other projects too, where one of the beauties of a chatbot is not just the hands-freeness of it, but the approachability of it. So, you know, a developer who knows AWS really well can go into the console and figure out the status of, of the build like this. Mm-hmm. Um, but someone who's less technical, maybe a manager or a stakeholder in the project may not have the skills or knowledge to do that, but instead they can just have this chatbot and they can just... <laughs> Did you just give us a management pro tip where if your manager asks you for status all the time, the answer is to build an Alexa skill that they can talk to instead of you? (laughs) I think that's what I just heard. (laughs) I I think I did say that. That's right. (laughs) It's not a bad idea. (laughs) There's probably a few people listening going, I'm getting right onto that. And one of the other really impressive things that I like about this particular solution is, is the way you've composed different services to get this outcome. And, and again, there's a really good diagram on the on the blog post, I think, shows shows the thought process because, you know, when I read this, John, I can, I can almost hear your brain thinking about which components you're going to use because you've sort of said, okay, first I've got, I've got Lambda and I've got code commit that's feeding into code build. Then that's feeding into Elastic Container Registry. It's using data from S3. There's a Lambda there. There's a whole lot of configuration in my parameter store. Then it feeds into SageMaker. Um, then it's using a bit more Lambda, then it's using SageMaker again, and wrapped around all of this is, of course, step functions. And that's like you just kind of composed all the different services that make sense to get an outcome. 
but it's a more stitching together process than a build process. Is that is it? Is that I don't know. I don't know. Undervalue what you've done here, but you know what I mean. Like you've you've kind of brought together these components to match that diagram we've drawn. Well, and and you've described why it's so much fun to work with AWS. It's it's you know these services individually are cool and really capable, but it's when you start combining them that you really build these awesome things. And and you're probably maybe this may be too much for a podcast, but there is multiple versions of this where I tried different combinations of services that didn't work out as well. Mm. Um, so that's part of that fun process too. Of well, let me try this service. No, maybe it's this service. Yeah, um, it's true though because because it's so it's so easy to throw the bits away that you don't want to use anymore because you kind of haven't committed to anything. You can you can go down those dead ends and I've done it myself where you sort of you think, I'll build it this way and then you get halfway through and go, this totally sucks and is not the way I want to do things. So I'm going to delete all that code and there's this other service that probably does what I actually want to do better. And um, and yeah, so we're, we're kind of seeing the the end result of what you've done. I'm, I'm sure there's probably a few, uh, few napkins with some different versions there out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, we'll go through your your uh, your Git uh, history at some stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> Excellent. So, so any other advice for for listeners to get started with this? We'll obviously link in the show notes the both the blog post and the the GitHub location. But any other tips? Other than saying like, yeah, the code for this is open source. It's on GitHub. We'd really love to hear feedback. If there's some features in here that are missing. You know, talk to us. We'd be happy to either you know work with you, add them in, um, really make this a living project that you know we talked about iteration that continues iterating, making this a more um, capable and useful system for customers. Definitely, and just looking at the status here, I can see there's already uh, 59 commits and three contributors going and four branches. So hopefully, there'll be way more after this. That that would be great. Awesome. Well, John, thanks a lot for coming back on the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. And thanks, everyone, for listening. We do love to get your feedback. AWS Podcast at Amazon.com is the place to do it. Also, if you can uh, give us a review or any uh, comments on the, the various podcatchers that you use, that is always well regarded and very helpful too. And as always, keep on building. <laughs>